They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Elliot, we made a promise last week. Here we are this week, ready to deliver on that promise. The Oscar nominations are out. Elliot, give it to us. What are your thoughts? What's your hot take? Your unpopular opinions? I want to hear the most angry, just frothing at the mouth, uh, I can't think of another word for opinion on the Oscar nominations that were announced uh, this past week. Not sure I have anything like that. Uh, I was on the whole satisfied. Uh, I've seen most of the best picture nominations and enjoyed all of them. I'm never going to see poor things, but I am going to see zone of interest pretty soon. So we'll see what happens there. Obviously my hope, I'm very pleased that Oppenheimer uh, pulled away with it. I'm rooting for Christopher Nolan, rooting for Oppenheimer, rooting for Killian Murphy. Um, I I don't mind that much about RDJ. I thought he was fine, but uh, I I probably wouldn't have nominated him. This isn't like my nominations, but that's fine. I think the one that I'm most upset about is. John Williams for Indiana Jones and the Dial mm. of Destiny. Seriously, that yeah. score was decidedly low effort on his part. Uh, that I, that I'm, I'm not frothing in the, at the mouth about it, but I am disappointed. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed, and uh, I think it. I, I don't think that should have been nominated. As far as uh, Barbie, the Barb Barbaversy. The Barbie controversy, and I don't know why I'm trying to combine the words, but um, look, I like, I love Greta Gerwig. I like Margot Robbie. Barbie probably wouldn't be my best picture of the year. Well, it definitely wouldn't be my best picture of the year. I don't think it's Greta Gerwig's strongest work. I understand why a lot of people are upset about it. I think that's legitimate, um, but I can't really... Can't really speak to that. Maybe we should have had Lydia on again to see what she thinks. She could just be our Barbie liaison. But yeah, that's that's generally it. Uh, the big ones, the the ones that I'm really hoping for is Christopher Nolan for Best Director, Killian Murphy, Murphy for Best Actor, and Oppenheimer for Best Picture. Those are my the three ones that I'm most invested in. Other than that, I'm just I'm just here to see what happens. Yeah, I agree a thousand percent with the John Williams nomination. I was similarly stunned that he got a nomination for a score that I cannot remember a single note of or a single meaningful passage of music from. 
especially in a year, I think every year there's really good. Uh, I don't know. I've got the things up here, but it might take me a bit to find uh, music. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I can't off the top of my head. I can't think of a score that I'm like, oh, definitely should have been included instead of this. But this certainly should not have been included, in my opinion. Uh, I think my biggest thing that I'm really surprised didn't get any nominations, I guess it's two things, is I'm a little surprised that Priscilla, Sofia Coppola's movie about Priscilla Presley, didn't receive any nominations, even in like costume or makeup, which I thought were really good, especially the makeup to have the main actress go from looking like, you know, 14 years old at the beginning of the movie to something in her late 20s later in the movie, I thought was a really impressive thing, as well as her dresses and outfits that she wears throughout the film are really, you know, very authentic and look really impressive. So I was kind of surprised to see that, kind of disappointed to not see that get any nominations anywhere. Uh, obviously, Asteroid City didn't get anything. Uh, Blackberry didn't get anything, which those aren't surprising, but it's kind of disappointing to see uh, the things I expected to not show up, not show up. Uh, to, I guess, add to Elliot's comments on the Barbie Versi, um, that's a great name. That's going to catch on really soon, I think. <laughs> yep. Uh, I would just, I just think. And I try to do this myself is anytime you're going to say, oh, why wasn't this person nominated? You should also offer a this is the person I would replace because I see a lot of people saying that Gerwig deserved to be nominated for best director. And the only thing I would ask is, you know, who are you replacing? I mean, I haven't seen poor things yet, but according to all accounts, it looks like it's Yorgos Lanthimos's best movie yet this guy's been putting out impeccably directed films and i'm assuming this looks to be another one of those elliot's shaking his heads he's a bit of a yorgos hater i'm a bit of a yorgos fan uh i haven't seen zone of interest either but it seems to be a similar thing as well as like no one who's voting for glazer for best director is gonna choose the woman who directed barbie those are very different movies that's probably the artsiest film that got nominated, I would say, is The Zone of Interest. And then otherwise you have Justin Triette, Anatomy of a Fall. Personally, I didn't love Anatomy of a Fall, and I would put someone else in there, specifically, actually, the person who directed uh, the movie we're going to be talking about today. But then otherwise you have Christopher Nolan, who's probably going to win, and then Martin Scorsese, who... It's Scorsese, and everyone's praising Killers of the Fire Moon. We reviewed it positively. It's it's another feather in the most feathered cap in like cinema right now. This dude's walking around with a whole bird on his head. All right, he's gonna continue. He's gonna keep getting nominated as long as he keeps making movies this good. So, uh, Margot Robbie's a different story. I don't think anyone's seen Nyad, which uh, I can't even remember the actress's name, but. There's always one in the like best actor or best actress race. There's always one movie that gets no nominations outside of this one for this one actress. And it's like, oh, the one on earth has seen this movie. So 
that's maybe a little more justifiable. But yeah, that's all I would say. I think a lot of, I was telling you before this that I think a lot of the times when the Oscar nominations come out, we should maybe have everyone who shares their opinion. They should also say like how many movies they watched that last year, not to gatekeep, but just so we know where they're coming from. Like if someone says, hey, I saw 200 movies last year and I think Gerwig deserved to be best director. I'm going to take that opinion with far fewer grains of salt than someone who says, hey, I think Gerwig deserved to be nominated for best director and they've seen four movies last year and two of them were DC movies. I'm not taking that person's opinion at all. That's going to be a mountain of salt under that opinion. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty harsh. <laughs> that's pretty snobbish of you. I, I I think if anyone anyone can have an opinion on anything, and I might have my own thoughts about it, but I'm not going to say that like, oh, your opinion is was invalid, or I'm not going to take it seriously. But I'm just more considerate, more compassionate. I don't think you should take everyone's opinion. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't think we should take everyone's opinions as seriously as everyone else. Like, I'm not going to take your opinion on physics as seriously as I take my physics teacher's opinion on physics. Because one of you clearly has more of a standing to say, to give an informed opinion. Well, that's that's fair. That's fair enough. Uh, I'm hurt that you don't think much of my vast repertoire of physics knowledge but i understand what you're saying you know what nathan i take your opinion seriously i think that it's valid oh thank you thank you (laughs) thank you let's stop trying to alienate our viewership or our listenership (laughs) let's talk about the movie uh this one this is one of yours nathan so introduce it let's have it it's one that people who've been reading the oscar nominations might uh might recognize yeah, this, uh, you know, let's hear some more opinions from people who have really good opinions that should be taken very, very seriously. Taken completely plain, no salt, no ketchup, just opinion. No, no salt. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing, we're reviewing Past Lives, which is nominated for Best Picture. It was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Uh, It released way back in like June or May, something like that. Elliot, you and I went to it in the theaters and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a ton. It's been a movie that's really stuck with me. I'm pretty sure, unless I'm misremembering, I'm pretty sure I put it in my uh, top five movies of the year when we did our 2023 recap. And... Yeah, now it's nominated for Best Picture. It's nominated for Best Original Screenplay. I thought it would be a really good time to revisit this movie and maybe call attention to it if you missed it when it was theaters. I think it's actually back in some theaters currently because of all of the Oscar buzz around it. But I really wanted to talk about this movie a bit more with you. We talked about it a bit after we saw it and then just kind of bring to attention this really fantastic small scale sort of film. So I I can give us a bit of a plot breakdown. Past Lives follows uh, pretty much two characters over the course of 30 or so years, I think. Uh, Nora and Hae Sung, who are childhood best friends in Korea, 
when Nora moves to America. They reconnect kind of briefly over two different periods in their lives. And yeah, that's pretty much all there is to the plot. The movie is a really, just to kind of give first impressions here, I think the movie is so fantastically small scale, small stakes. It is such a beautiful depiction of the tiniest of human moments that just feel so huge as you're living in those moments. I, I'm really excited to talk about this movie a bit more. Elliot, what's, um, what were your first impressions? What are your opening thoughts on this film? Well, my first impression obviously is like months old at this point. So I'm not sure that'll do us any good. My thoughts were, my first thought, my most prominent thought, and I apologize for this because it's not going to be very impressive. My most prominent thought, at least throughout most of the movie, was trying to think of how I could fit a reference to the Raven into this movie because I kept on thinking of Lenore, uh, nameless here forevermore, whom the angels name Lenore, that kind of thing. So that was my, that was my most, uh, that, that took up most of my headspace watching this movie. The rest of it was, first of all, I think that it's important to contextualize this in that Nathan is a massive sap. He loves this kind of movie. Uh, about He loves talking about human things. And I'm not saying this pejoratively, by the way. Um, he loves talking about little human experiences, universalities uh, that that are uh, small things that are a very big part of the human condition, the human experience. I am more drawn to the darker side of the human condition just because I'm... Uh, it's not because I'm cooler or better than Nathan or anyone else. It's because I'm a weirdo and a loser and uh, depressed. So I was worried about this, to be honest, because I did enjoy it the first time, but I didn't remember loving it. And so I was worried that without the novelty, my natural cynicism or just my disposition was going to really hurt this movie. Nathan, I can tell that you're a little bit anxious here or uh, a little bit off balance. I, I can... I'm relieved to report that that was not the case. I did enjoy this. Um, I enjoyed it probably a little bit more than I did the first time. I did not, I was not like on my feet cheering or anything. Uh, I do think that this movie has some issues of pacing, of characterization. I'm thinking specifically of Arthur, who I did not like this time around. I, I felt like he... His insecurities and his lameness uh, were kind of dragging the movie down a little bit. But we'll get to that later. I think this is a good movie. I think it's very emotionally affecting. There were some moments that really hit me. Um, I think that this is a, a very skillful distillation of the... the how, how, shall I, how can I put this in the most pretentious artistic way possible? The <laughs> sorrow and the glory of the road not taken, of the missed connection, um, of wondering 
what could have been, what might have been, what if, that kind of thing. And that is, that's a very human experience. That's something that each and every one of us has experience with, unless you're like the most confident, self-assured person on earth, in which case, congratulations to you. You probably won't even understand this movie. But for the rest of us, I think it's worthwhile. I think that more people should see it. I don't know if we can call a movie that was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director unknown or a hidden gem or anything. I think that it's certainly less well-known than Oppenheimer and Barbie. So I certainly think that if that was your only experience of the Oscar nominations, you should definitely watch this. This is absolutely an accessible Oscar nom, right? This is not something like, I wouldn't recommend... I mean, I didn't love uh, Anatomy of a Fall, so I wouldn't recommend it for different reasons. But if I had enjoyed it, I probably wouldn't recommend it to a huge group of people because that's just kind of a dense, more uh, niche uh, movie. This is a movie that I would recommend to a much wider set of people because, like you said, it is something very universal, something very emotional that a lot of people, most people, will be able to understand and empathize with. Yeah, I love, I mean, I'm guilty as charged. I'm a bit of a sap. I'm a bit of a sappy boy. I'm a bit like a maple tree in that sense. I, <laughs> I I think I think one of the best things movies can do is to depict the humanity in, the kind of universal humanity in incredibly specific situations. I actually had a conversation, not to flex, but I did go to Europe in the in recent months and the guy who was sitting beside me on the plane was watching this movie and afterwards because i'm a bit of an invasive nerd i started a conversation with him and i asked him what he thought of the movie and he mentioned that he was really moved by it especially as someone he's originally from italy he was flying back to italy to see his family but he lives in america and he talked about how the movie really spoke to his experience of moving to a new country and kind of trying to get acclimated with the customs and the people there. And I thought that was so fascinating because that's obviously nothing like my experience. I moved from one town in Iowa to another town in Iowa. It was not very hard to get acclimated, but I still love this movie because like you said, Elliot, it's about kind of regret. It's about thinking, did I make the right choice? Can I make the right choice? Is there something really amazing on the road I didn't go down that I'm now, that is now completely inaccessible to me, is completely shut off? And I think the movie does such a fantastic, fantastic job. And I, like you said, it's so accessible. Some of, some movies like this can feel very inaccessible because they're trying so hard to mine normal human moments for that kind of mundane beauty that you can find in there that they just become really pretentious they become a bit of a slog uh they just become a cavalcade of meaningless moments you don't care about i think this movie does such a fantastic job of staying focused on the moments that matter even though they're kind of small moments and then cutting out the moments that don't. Like I said, this movie takes place over the course of 30 some years and the movie is very dedicated to not be wasting our time showing us 
a moment in the two main characters' lives that just doesn't matter at all to the story that it's trying to tell about their connecting and then disconnecting over this period of 30 years. So I think, you know, just to continue talking about the idea of the movie, what it feels like to watch the movie before we get into what's actually in the movie, the characters, the actors, the cinematography. I think this movie just has such a fantastic sense of what it does well. And it knows to not be trying to fly way far out of the thing and do something else. That's, that's very well put. I mean, not that last part about fly way out of the thing and do something else, but the rest of it is very well put. And that's a fantastic (laughs) story. Like, (laughs) <laughs> That's a great story about that guy in the plane. Um, and that is that is something that I really appreciate about movies. I, 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 I guess I'm more drawn to movies that like no one can relate to or that no one has experience with, like Lord of the Rings. Nobody has any experience with destroying a magical ring by chucking it in a volcano. But it doesn't matter. I still I still do enjoy this kind of thing, like The Father. Um, that's very mm. human, very ground level. Yeah, so I agree. I I don't think that the movie is quite as somber as all that. I th- I think that maybe a better word than glory when I was trying to be stupid is more like the sorrow and the joy because there is definitely the sorrow, the wondering of what if I had stayed in Korea? What if I had not been a little bit uh, insensitive and just kicked my friend out of my life, uh, our, my video chat friend. Um, that's definitely there. But also, I think that there's a lot of that the main character, and this is getting a bit into characterization, also derives some level of certainty from this. That she says when she's laying in bed with Arthur and he's having his issues and she's like, this is the life. That's not how life works. He's asking all these what if questions. And she's like, that's not how life works. Uh, this is where I'm at. This is the life I chose. This is where I'm supposed to be. So I think that there is also affirmation of the the road that was taken in this movie. Or at least that's what I got from it. Um, which I like. I, I enjoy that sort of uh, duology or duality um, of theme. So yeah, uh, not a whole lot to say there. I I don't know. I don't have any missed connections or like major life choices that I look back on and I'm like, what if this? What if that? I mean, there are certainly things that have happened that were I to make a different choice, I would. But I don't really think about that. Sorry. Hold on a second, Shadow. I don't really think about that. Maybe it is just because I'm cynical and jaded and I don't, I just don't like thinking about it. Maybe it's because I just don't have that much experience. But so what I'm getting at is that I appreciate that. I like that. I enjoy that. But it's not something that like really clicks with me on a deep soul level. The way that your favorite movies, even to some extent, setting aside their quality are movies that just slot perfectly into some puzzle-shaped hole or puzzle-shaped recess in your, deep in your heart, like in your very essence of being that 
that's the kind of stuff that you carry with you. That's the kind of stuff that clearly has happened a little bit for Nathan because he talked about how much this movie has stuck with him. It's just not something that happened with me, not because of any fault of the movie, but because of a fault with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I I wouldn't say that I connect with the movie on a significant... Like, I don't think I have that many things that I regret or that many things that... I look back on and wish I had done differently. And so watching this movie is just like, oh man, all of the what ifs come creeping back. Cause I think there is a very strong undercurrent, like you said, of affirmation. I remember when I saw in that scene where Arthur is asking all these what if questions and he's asking all these what ifs where he's like, what if you met somebody who like knew all of these refer like who did all of these things with you like i did these things with you to get like that made you fall in love with me and i think that's such an interest in my head it's such an interesting thing to ask because at some point doesn't it stop being something different and start just being you like he's asking what if you met someone who had all of my qualities but wasn't me that there's this element that And I think all of the characters are somewhat asking this question of if things were different, would I be the same and would I be, you know, better or worse? And I think what's fascinating about the movie is it kind of looks at it like you can't ever be anything other than you. You can't like the things that have happened in your past have happened and that's it. But that there's an element and especially with kind of the premise of the title past lives. And they talk about a couple times, I can't remember the word for it, but just this idea that, Oh, thank you, Elliot. (laughs) But just this idea that the things that we do over time have an effect on the course of our lives as our lives kind of build up as we're reincarnated and we keep, reappearing it's a very romantic sort of idea i don't think i personally i don't i know i don't personally believe in that sort of thing but i think again it's contributing to the ideas of the movie and contributing to getting the audience in a mindset of thinking about the past and the impact the past has on the moment that you're currently living which i would hope at least for me personally becomes a bit of a desire to then live your life now like you wish you had back then because obviously you know like Nora says she can't change like life doesn't work backwards you don't get a look back and fix everything life works forwards and so at least for me personally the movie is a bit more of this idea of okay, we can't work backwards, but we can work forwards. So like right now, do some stuff that you're going to feel proud of and you're going to be happy about. But that's probably enough talking about the ideas of the movie and some very, maybe a little heady emotional things. So Elliot, let's let's talk about the two main characters, Nora and Sung. Uh, you said before you don't, love maybe the characterization you specifically cited arthur but what do you think of the main characters that we follow for the course of the movie yeah i like them i like them both 
I think that they are they're very distinct from each other. Um, it 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 is surprisingly it seems like something that should be so easy, but I as a aspiring writer, I can say that it is actually fairly difficult to write characters that are very very distinct from each other, that have very distinct outlooks. They might have distinct they might have different outlooks and experiences and stuff, but for that to then manifestly affect your perception of them, that is very difficult. And I think that that was accomplished that that was accomplished in this movie, that they're different their different experiences and outlooks notably had an Im- had a notable impact on the way they acted and the way I interpreted their actions. So good job there. That's legitimately, that is something that is difficult to do. I, it's not that the characterization is bad, right? Because obviously I've said I like it and I think that it's well done. It's just that I don't really get the sense of like full emotional investment in these characters I think that's mostly because their characterization and their dynamic is founded expressly and exclusively on their connection, right? On what they mean to each other and what they have meant to each other. And I didn't get, I got a sense, I didn't get a very strong sense of what that looked like and what that meant because this is where the pacing comes in. I agree that this movie had a real danger of the way you put it is very well put of trying to mine mundane beauty out of mundane things and ending up just being mundane. Right. I agree with that. Mm, I think that it's a difficult balance to strike. I think that this movie just a hair. I'm, I I really want to make sure that everyone knows that I'm talking about very fine grained distinctions here, but just a hair went in the wrong direction in terms of the brevity of their initial connection, which is supposed to be the fa- the rock upon which this church is built. Because we have like a few scenes of them as childhood friends. Good stuff. The connection is there. The bones are there. There's just not a whole lot of meat on them. Because after that, we get a long montage of them talking together on the uh, on video calls, her in New York uh, and him in Seoul. Seoul? 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 Does anyone know? It is Seoul, yeah. But not the their conversations are such that I never got the feeling of this like really deep connection that the movie implied was present. Um, I def again, I got a sense of a connection, but I didn't get the sense of a connection that was so profound that you would spend the next 12 years of your life thinking about it and that you would cross the Pacific specifically to see this person as, uh, as the guy does because of the, uh, profundity of that connection that I did not quite get. And I don't know if it's because mm. we just didn't spend that much time with them together as people who were connecting or if they just didn't really, if like just the things that they talked about and the way they talked to each other 
didn't really give me a sense of anything beyond just what casual friends do. Like, uh, this is the kind of, these are the kinds of conversations I felt that I have with just like acquaintances from school or people that I see every week in church, not the kind of kinds of conversations that I have with you, Nathan, uh, that speak to the depth of our connection or my parents or, or something or my best friend or something like that. I think I'll, I'll come to your point that you kind of landed on in a bit to go through my thoughts. I definitely agree. I think the writing is really fantastic. Like we already mentioned, this was nominated for best original screenplay and I think it definitely deserves it. It might not be obvious, but yeah, it's really hard to write characters that are distinct and I distinct. And I think it's also really hard to write dialogue that is that does reflect the way people talk in reality and especially the way people talk just in casual conversation. I think that can be really hard to nail. And I think this movie does such a fantastic job. I also think both of the actors, let me get on my thing so I can cite them both. Greta Lee, who plays Nora, and Tio Yu. Again, apologies for my inability to pronounce foreign names correctly. But I think both of them do such a fantastic job of depicting these characters. And I think especially Mr. Yu, who plays He Sung, he does such an amazing job of portraying the care the fact that this relationship means more to the character than he's kind of letting on a lot of the times when they end video calls he's got this kind of morose look he's bummed that the call is over he's bummed that he wasn't able to talk to her more i think it's like the fact that he flies to her after 12 years makes sense to me because throughout the movie it feels really obvious that the relationship means more to him or that he's putting more on the relationship than maybe Nora is. And I think the actress, again, does such an amazing job of, it's not that the relationship doesn't mean anything to her, but she's very confident. Again, the scene where she's in bed with Arthur and she says, life doesn't work. Like I've made my choices. I know the choices I want to make, which makes the ending of the movie when he leaves and she kind of like breaks down crying that much better and more interesting because it is this kind of the only moment where we see some of that sureness, some of that confidence fall apart that she is, that she does have those same thoughts again, that all of us have where we're like, man, did we actually make the right choice in that situation? And I think I'm assuming given her depiction throughout the film, that it's only a momentary thing. But again, it's so amazing the way the movie captures that moment, that single moment where you would be very vulnerable and think, did I make the right choice? And the entire movie is kind of building up to that moment. But I think the two main actors do such an amazing job. I think the characters are so well done. I'm kind of uh, a baby when it comes to movies. I think I've said this before that anything a movie depicts, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Of course they would do that. So for me, uh, him flying (laughs) to America after 12 years to see somebody he hasn't talked to in 12 years, 
uh, totally, totally believable. It was in the movie. Why would they put it in the movie if it wasn't real, Elliot? <laughs> but I, I really like the writing and the acting for the two main characters. Uh, the only other character who kind of matters is Arthur. He's okay. He doesn't annoy me. Elliot, you can complain about him annoying you uh, right now, but I think he's okay. I think he's decent. There's not really much that I can think of bad or good to say about him. Yeah, so I agree. I think that um, Greta Lee and Mr. Yu do great job, both of them. Um, excellent performances. I think that well, like we've been saying, they're very different people. He's a lot more, well, he's not super maudlin, but he's more maudlin than she is. Uh, and he's more, yeah. it seems like he's more prone to the what if question. He's more prone to regret, to like regretting the road not taken, where she is more sorrowful about the road not taken. So that's fine. That's all well and good. Yeah, um, I don't really like Arthur because... It seems like, and this, I will admit that it seems like he was he was always going to be difficult. It's always going to be difficult to introduce a major player so late into the story, the way that Arthur is. He comes in pretty late and then goes on to have a fairly significant impact on the proceedings. That's going to be hard no matter which, no matter which way you slice it. But I think that, and again, this is sort of related to pacing, that... We get introduced to him, and it seems like he's pretty—he's pretty firmly in the secondary character category. Like we just get a sense of the happy couple, and he doesn't really have much uh, much characterization. He wrote a book called Boner because he's a flipping idiot, I'm guessing. Um, but he—he's that—that's—that's he, that's kind of his character. He's just like a goofy sort of uh, um, everyman-ish. But then the movie kind of does a heel turn and spends some pretty significant time dealing with his reaction to what's the guy's character's name again? Hey Sung. Hey Sung coming in coming back into Lenore nameless here forevermore's life. And it just, it seems like it comes out of nowhere, and it seems like it doesn't really have that much to do with with the main crux of the story, which is the relationship between Lenore and Sung. And also, it doesn't help that he's kind of being stupid. Like, he's being insecure and a little bit of a loser and I empathize I'm the same way I'm the exact same way so I empathize but so maybe it's just that I I, I was like oh that makes me sad because that's what I would do um but I didn't I thought like he was just kind of weighing the movie down with his stupid problems <laughs> that his problems weren't very serious they were overblown which I think it suffers from comparison to the much more textured, much deeper, uh, more relatable issues that Nora and Sung were dealing with. Um, but in terms of the pacing, it just seems weird to me that the movie kind of starts 
starts getting a little choppy at the tail end as he continues to come more and more into the forefront when before before he hadn't existed and even when he did exist for a good stretch of time he had existed in a fairly inobtrusive unremarkable way so it just felt a little bit off to me again it's not a huge problem it's not it's not the movie's undoing but it's definitely something that i noticed uh, I, I I don't agree. I think that Arthur's issues, while not, I guess, as serious as Nora and Sung's, are just as serious in the sense that they're a human being's problems that don't really matter to anyone else but them. I mean, all of our problems look kind of insignificant if we keep finding people with more problems to put them up against. And yeah... I do, I guess I would agree in terms of kind of the only negative I have in the movie is that there does feel like there's some moments where it maybe loses sight of the thing or it spends too much time. I think specifically when Nora goes to the bathroom and then it's just Arthur and Hey Sung talking for a bit, it feels like it's kind of hitting the same notes as we've already hit. And like you said, since Arthur comes in to the movie so late in the game and kind of is just there as the person that Nora has married and not as a fully formed character in the way that the two people we've been following for most of the movie are, uh, that final conversation between him and Sung, I it's just not, it doesn't feel as necessary as some of these other moments in the film. Uh, I think I would also, on terms of technical things, uh, music is whatever. This I really like the cinematography of this movie. It's got a really, it's kind of hazy in a way that feels very, kind of contributes, I guess, in some sense to the realism of the movie, that there's some film grain, so it feels like it's being filmed by a real camera. Uh, I also really love how authentically poor their video calls are, that their video calls do sometimes look <laughs> the same way that our video call that we're on currently doing this podcast looks, that internet connection is, isn't always perfect. And sometimes in movies, when people are on video calls, everything's just peaches and cream, and they aren't in this movie, which just adds, again, a nice touch of realism the other thing I love about the cinematography in this movie and kind of my last point is there's more than a few shots. And the one that really stood up out to me is the shot where the two main characters are by a carousel in New York and they're kind of standing on the edge of some body of water. I don't know what. And probably the camera the pulls all the way back and there's probably the Hudson. Yeah. Uh, but the camera pulls back into a super wide. What do you have to say about the Hudson Bay, Elliot? I was just going to say, because isn't that the Brooklyn Bridge in the background? And I think that goes over the Hudson. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I don't live in New York. I'll look it up. Don't worry. Don't worry. Oh, perfect. Anyway. But the camera pulls all the way back into an incredibly wide shot. And it does this in a few other places. And it feels somewhat to me 
and this could be wrong, but it feels somewhat like it's kind of putting into perspective the enormity of the world contrasted with how small the problems that we're seeing depicted in this movie are, that they're in this giant city with so many people and it's just so big. And yet these problems, these questions, these things that they go through through the course of the film feel so huge. And even to us, to the viewer, they feel really huge because, you know, we're humans and we matter. So I think the cinematography does a really good job of contributing to these same thoughts of the enormity of the world, the smallness of our experience, and yet the enormity of our experience to ourselves. So, Elliot, what did you find out about the Hudson Bay? Cheaper. Um, it's actually very difficult to find very specific information, you'll be surprised to learn. Oh, Looks no like way. it might be either the George Washington Bridge or the Mid-Hudson Bridge, but the Brooklyn Bridge does not span the Hudson. So, oh. Tragically, no one cares, uh, except me, obviously. But no, uh, just to clarify a few things, it's not that I'm disregarding the depth of Arthur's <laughs> feelings. I understand, again, I understand that those feelings are real and very potent. It's just I have the lamentable additional affliction of having a very profound understanding of how poorly founded they are. Um, so it frustrates me. It, but it, that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, I I actually liked the music okay, um, especially the music that was playing at the very end when Lenore is crying and uh, Sung is driving over a different bridge. Hold on, let me try and see if I can find what bridge he was driving over. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's, that's good. I was a little less taken with the cinematography. I didn't think it was bad. There was, I agree, there was a very hefty film grain going on, on the thing, uh, which is fine. I'm not 100% sure. I certainly understand that that's an aesthetic choice. I'm not sure if it's also like a narrative or thematic choice. Probably not, I'm guessing. Uh, it's just to make it look a little bit more like something you would shoot on your phone, something that you would see on the TV, that kind of thing. That's my understanding, at least. But yeah, there were a few shots that I was like, okay, what are we doing here? Um, specifically, there were a lot of shot of extreme close-ups on Lenore's neck for reasons unknown. And sometimes the, there were shots that seemed to be coming, becoming more and more prominent where it's like picture on on the website of a restaurant where it's a picture of two people's like upper torsos and also just like a, a pretty large blurred background i don't understand that shot i'm not sure why it keeps on cropping up but if directors could maybe stop using it or use it more artfully i'd really appreciate it also here's another thing that no one cares about including uh, to add to our discussion of bridges this movie opens the way I swear every single artistic Oscar-y movie opens with a black screen and the opening credits playing over and ambient sounds of the oncoming scene playing over it. Why does that keep happening? That's so weird. I, it, it's not bad, but I, I just wish we could think of something else because it's getting a little played out. Um, so those are two major issues of mine. 
film grain or three majors, <laughs> Major. film grain shots that look like restaurant pictures and opening credits. That is true though, because isn't that's how American fiction opens too? Is and anatomy saying, of a fall? Oh, it does. Okay. Is that now? I'm trying to desperately remember how the other Oscar movies opened. Well, um, Oppenheimer just opened with like an inferno and that quote about Prometheus. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, well, yeah, we'll discuss that. By the way, that's called a J shot, though. A J because the audio is there before the picture is. So it's a J if you think of it like that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Elliot's furrowing his brow. That's what it's called, Elliot. That's the name of the shot. <laughs> Whatever, man. Uh, yeah, let's. If that's it, then I say let's get into some ratings. I can go first. I really, really enjoyed this movie. If you did not catch it when it was in theaters way back when, I would strongly recommend. I think it is a fun theater experience. I enjoyed seeing it in the theater. But honestly, even if all you do is rent it from your local whatever or rent it from your local streaming service and give it a watch, I think it's definitely worth one. It is such an amazing little story about the tiny moments that make up a human's lives. It's got a lot of these big questions rolling around in the back, but it never feels so pretentious that it loses sight of the humans at the center of the story. I really like it. There's some pacing issues. There's some scenes that I maybe wouldn't necessarily include, but those are tiny issues. I'm going to give it an 8.7 out of 10. Very nice. Um, yeah, I enjoy this movie. I think that it's a good movie. I think it's well above average in quality. I think that um, it's worth watching. I would recommend it to just about anyone unless they were like five years old or something. I uh, I think that the writing is very good. I like the music, the cinematography, and stuff alike. Well, I'm okay about the cinematography, but... This uh, this movie is one that is clearly high quality. I have no problem with it being nominated for Best Director or with Celine Joy being nominated for Best Director or anything like that. What are you, whoa, hold up here, what? friend. Celine Song is her name, and she is not nominated for Best Director. <laughs> oh yeah, you were, you said that uh, you wouldn't you would want that. That's uh, aspirational, not factual. So disregard everything I just said. I like this movie. I'm fine with it being nominated for Best Picture. Um, I would have been fine if Celine Song had been nominated for Best Director. Uh, the the thing that's keeping it from a higher score for me is the problems of pacing and of characterization as it relates to Arthur, and just the simple fact that it didn't really it didn't really click with me in the way that all of my A's and A pluses always do, um, but I I can still uh, I can still give this movie a strong B plus and set my name to that proudly. Okay, good deal, good deal. Uh, well, let's let's talk about some other movies. Let's get some recommendations out of the way here. I'll go first. 
Uh, I'm going to recommend another movie that came out actually just last year that I think shares a lot of not necessarily the same type of story, but it has a lot of the same ideas of the huge moments in a person's life that aren't huge kind of from the outside looking in or aren't even huge in the moment, but become huge looking back. Uh, my recommendation is going to be After Sun, which came out last year. Uh, didn't get very many nominations. A lot of people were kind of upset about it not getting as many nominations at the Oscars as they thought it deserved. But this is a really fantastic, fantastic movie. Uh, the premise is this woman is re-watching some old tapes that she has of the last... She's re-watching tapes of a trip that she took with her father when she was a little kid. And it's very clear from the way she's watching these tapes that the she's trying to find some sort of information in the tapes, that she's trying to find some sort of closure in watching these tapes. And it's just such a fascinating movie of trying to find where the things you missed were looking back that she's trying to see who her dad was trying to see what kind of person he was by looking back through these tapes and it's a fantastic performance by paul mescal the only oscar nomination this movie got was for best lead actor he does such an amazing job of portraying a character who's clearly going through some stuff behind the scenes that he's trying to put on a brave face for his daughter he's trying to have a really good time with her. He's trying to be as, you know, fatherly as he possibly can, but it's very clear that he's got a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And I think this movie is just impeccably well-made. It's a fantastic story like past lives. It's not about something huge. It's just about something really, really meaningful to the people who are living in it. And especially with this kind of narrative device of her re-watching these tapes to try and find something. Uh, it's a really interesting movie. I don't think it got as much praise as it deserved last year. So go back, give it a watch. Yeah, sure. I haven't seen that. Uh, it is on my list. Um, I think it's on Canopy, which is the snobs Netflix. Uh, so I'll watch that one day. If you'll cast your mind back to our episode reviewing uh, Casino Royale, Paul Meskel is Nathan's pick to be the next Bond. So that's interesting. No one cares. Bond There's still sucks. a chance. Uh, but anyway, uh, my recommendation is a little bit different. I kind of struggled with this one, as I usually do. Um, but I'm going to recommend Alexander Payne's masterpiece, Sideways. Um, this movie is without a doubt, the most accurate, painfully accurate depiction of depression that I have ever seen in a movie. It follows a depressed Paul Giamatti as he's going on a sort of, he's a, there's a, a word for people who are really into wine. I don't know what it is though. Uh, Wineophiliac. I don't know. The guy was really into yeah, wine. That's got to be it, Elliot. With, shut up. Uh, I did my best. With his best <laughs> friend as they prepare for his best friend's wedding. I chose this because of the because it's 
like past lives, it's about a very small stakes kind of human experience. It's also about uh, someone who's dealing with the, the main character, Paul Giamatti's character is more like uh, say, or Hey Sung than he is like uh, Lenore because he is very regretful about the roads not taken. He's very regretful about the way his life is shaped up, but it ultimately ends up being a very life affirming, albeit not saccharine story about the the hope that exists in everyday life. It's a fantastic movie. Um, I've only watched it once because I can't express to you just how <laughs> right it is about the ways depression in which depression affects people. But great movie. Uh, this would this would make a really good depressing double feature if you're up for that. Um, actually, any double feature in which Sideways is a part would probably be pretty depressing. But it doesn't matter. It's a great movie. Definitely go see it. Paul Giamatti turns in a fantastic performance. It's probably my favorite movie from Alexander Payne, aside from, well, I've only seen like three. Um, But yeah. Yeah. Alexander Payne, the reason I keep on mentioning him is because he uh, is also getting some Oscar buzz for his movie The Holdovers, So, which is another fantastic movie with another great Paul Giamatti. But yeah. The point is, and I want everyone to listen very closely, is that life is hard and full of disappointments. Uh, I definitely agree. Alexander Payne is a great director. I don't agree with that other stuff you said. <laughs> Honestly, I would say I've seen five Alexander Payne. I've seen Nebraska and The Descendants, which I don't think you've seen. Uh, I haven't seen Downsizing. It's supposed to be bad. But of the five that I've seen of his, I think most of his movies would pair well with past lives. They're very much about people kind of going through something and not necessarily going through it in the best way possible. But all that being said, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Go check out Past Lives. If you missed any, I would say this, actually. Uh, I've seen eight of the 10 Best Picture nominees, and I would say all eight of them are pretty good movies to really stinking good movies. This was a fantastic year for film. And honestly, the 10 movies that are lined up as Best Picture nominees, all of them are really good. If you missed any of them, I would say maybe go out, check them out before the ceremony in March. We are going to continue bringing you just all of the commentary you need, all of the serious opinions you need on these movies and the Oscar race as it develops. So be sure to tune in next week for more of that same incredible discussion commentary that you can find only at Magellan's at the Movie.